I, I grew up being a weekend warrior. My parents used to pick us up from school and take us camping and then bring us back to school. Like we would just like skip going home. My parents still camp and my dad commutes to work from the campsite. <laughs> so like, it's just, I think being able to think more of like, in, in you know, how to integrate being adventurous and outdoorsy into your life versus thinking you have to sacrifice what you already are doing um, or modify it wildly to be adventurous or outdoorsy. I, I think that also, what is adventurous and outdoorsy? Like adventurous means sometimes just going to your local regional park. Adventurous sometimes means saying yes to um, a job offer that sounds like a little bit more than what you could do. I think being outdoorsy means going outside. So I don't think that, I think we put qualifiers around things that make it feel like really marginalizing and create barriers for for people to, to feel like they fit in. That was Noelle Russell, and you're listening to Real Talk Radio with Nicole Antoinette, episode 162. Welcome to Real Talk Radio with Nicole Antoinette. That's me, the podcast that's filled with refreshingly honest conversations about the wonderful mess of being human. We'll be diving into the full episode in a few minutes, but before that, I have three quick things that I want to share with you. The first is the promise that my guests and I are committed to one simple but powerful thing, telling the truth about our lives. That's it. No one's here to sell you anything. No one's trying to get you to fix yourself or your life. You're great, and we're all just doing the best we can. That's what I believe. The next thing I want to share is a reminder that this is definitely an adult podcast covering adult subjects, often using adult language, and we talk about things like work, love, sex, money, addiction, friendship, racism, body image, mental health, grief, fear, courage, change, and pretty much everything in between. My personal hope is that these conversations make you feel less alone, while also challenging you to consider a new perspective from someone whose lived experiences might be different from your own. I think that's super important. And then lastly, the last thing that I want to share before we get to today's episode is that you won't hear any ads or sponsor promotions on this podcast, because these honest conversations are 100% listener funded. They're made possible by awesome regular people like you who give $8 or more per eight-episode season. The show is and will always be free. But if you love it, if these conversations make you laugh, think, and feel less alone, I hope you'll go to patreon.com slash Nicole Antoinette to make your pledge of $8 or more per eight-episode season. This kind of tangible financial support, that's what allows me to make the show. And it also pays everyone involved in making Real Talk Radio. That's me, my sound engineer, Adam Day, and every single one of my guests. It's been my dream for years to be able to pay all of my guests, and a few months ago, our community met the funding goal to make that happen. So all the guests whose stories you love are indeed getting paid for their time, with higher rates always being paid to our guests of color, as well as our queer and trans guests and others with traditionally marginalized identities. I know it's not the norm in the podcast industry to pay guests or to have a listener-funded show for that matter, I guess, um, but I fully believe that where we spend our money is a real-time vote for the kind of world we want to live in. And if I want to live in a world of honest conversations where people get paid for the work they do, especially creative work, that means it's up to me to create that model here at Real Talk Radio. And as a special thank you for supporting the show, you'll get access to over 40 hours of bonus content, as well as our monthly book club, my weekly behind the scenes email series. That's where I share my real life in real time. 
Plus, you'll be the first to know when tickets go on sale for live events and retreats. Sometimes the live events and retreats actually get sold out within the Patreon community. So if you're interested in that, that is a good place to be. Also, 5% of each season's profit is donated to a different social justice organization, with past donations going to places like Trans Lifeline, Black Lives Matter, and Planned Parenthood, so you can feel good about that aspect of your pledge contribution to this show as well. If you go over to Patreon, you'll see that there are currently three different funding levels. There's an $8 level, a $16 level, and a $25 level, each with their own unique, awesome bonuses. At the $25 level, that's where we do our live Google Hangouts. And oh my gosh, those are so much fun. Those are perhaps one of my favorite things uh, that we do in the Patreon community. So one more time, that's patreon.com slash Nicole Antoinette. And at the very end of this episode, you'll actually get to meet one of our Patreon community members who joins me for a fun little rapid fire question round. So stick around for that after the main episode for sure. And now let's dive right into today's episode. Today, you'll get to meet Noelle Russell. Noelle is a first-generation American, born and raised in California, and ever since she could walk, she has spent every second of her free time romping in the mountains. These days, you'll often find her camped in the backcountry, hiking along a trail, or traveling around the Sierra Nevada in a converted camper van with her husband and their two rescue mutts. In this episode, Noelle talks candidly about why and how she and her husband travel part-time in their van while maintaining a small home base and full-time jobs. Speaking of jobs, Noelle's in a period of transition right now, having recently moved from social service and a fulfilling career working in homeless shelters to more freelance creative work, and she talks all about that transition in this conversation. We also talk about defining success for yourself, taking the pressure off any one thing or any one person to meet all of your needs, and how living your values isn't always a sexy thing to do. Noelle is one of my personal favorite Instagram follows, and I absolutely loved getting to have this conversation with her, and I hope that you enjoy it just as much. So all of that starts in just a moment, and as always, you'll be able to find all the links and resources mentioned in this episode over in the show notes at NicoleAntoinette.com slash podcast. All right, we are good to go. Noelle, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Tell me something that you're totally obsessed with right now. <laughs> um, I'm really obsessed. There's a mead company uh, that makes this um, sparkling mead that they they make it with the like the champagne method, and it's this little company out in Point Reyes Station, and we we discovered it, and it's like it's like mead, and it's like honey champagne. <laughs> And I'm I'm obsessed with it. It's probably not a good thing to be obsessed with, especially when it's like rainy and cold and you're like just sitting at home because like you probably just shouldn't like just drink, <laughs> which is not what I do, but I'm definitely obsessed with it right now. Isn't it funny when you find like the small companies that that do one thing, but do that one thing really well? I find that those are easy obsessions too, to be like, wow, oh, this person's yes. like so great at what they do and they do yes. this like one really niche thing. <laughs> yes. 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 That's very, very true. And it's like super fun to discover those things. Yeah, totally. Um, so let's talk about your Instagram for a second because it's equal parts, gorgeous photos and really beautiful writing, raw, honest, uplifting writing. Your style's unique and so lovely. That's where I first found you was on Instagram. And it makes me want to ask about your writing background. Do you have an earliest writing memory that sticks out for you? Oh, yes. Um, when I was really, yeah, when I was in grade school, I used to write poetry. Um, 
and my grandmother encouraged me to send it into there, there used to be like a little publication that published um, just just writing of people and you you there was an address in the back of the little publication I forget the name of it and and they were grade based publication or like age based publications so there was one for like preteens and she said um, you should send in your poetry because people would want to people maybe might want to read it and I thought no way because um, I would I would always share it like with my parents and my grandparents and so I. I did it and they chose two poems and they paid me $15. And I was like, what in the world is this? Like, this is as good as it gets right there. I think that was like probably the highlight of my life and through like high school, because it, I think one, it affirmed something that I was, that I doubted in myself. Um, and then, and it was also just, um, really exciting because I, I I didn't get allowance or anything. So $15 was like pretty spectacular. Um, I so that. I think that's my, yeah, that's my first memory of that. So, and like, I guess pulling the thread forward, that's a big time gap between getting paid $15 for your first poem, which is incredible, by the way, um, <laughs> to the work and the writing that you're doing now. Kind of connect those dots for me. So I wish there was like a good connection. What actually happened is I wrote um, for fun, all the way through high school. And then I, and it was just for fun, I, poetry clubs. And I would do like, go to like poetry nights. I was always the youngest person there and I had so much fun. And then I got into college and it was like, I don't know what happened. Either it wasn't cool or it wasn't an environment where that was engaged or I didn't have a capacity for it. Cause I was working, um, usually three jobs to be able to get through school. And I just stopped writing and I actually stopped writing and until a couple years ago. And, and I really attribute Instagram as, as silly as that might sound, or maybe not so silly for help helping me re-realize that it's something that I enjoy because I remember a couple years ago putting something longer form out there, just posting it. And, and I think at the time the general rule was like, don't post really long captions because people don't read it. Um, and, and people read it and they, and commented or just liked it. And I, I felt like I felt, I think when I got those two poems published for 15 bucks, like I was like, oh my gosh, someone other than like my husband, right. Cares about what I'm like. And it's maybe more people want to read what is, you know, scrolling around in my mind every day. And so I, I would try it here and there and it would continue to do well. And, and that's kind of how I think I got to fall back in love with something that, um, I, I've always, I think I always really enjoyed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's a couple things in there that I definitely want to pull out and talk about a little more. This idea of returning to things that we loved when we were yeah. kids and yeah. really kind of looking at the point at which, like you said, oh, maybe it wasn't cool anymore, right? Like what did we learn, whether it was yeah. specifically taught to us or not that made us I don't know, like put down a piece of ourselves or something that we used to cherish or that was important. Like we get socialized into thinking it's not okay to care about this thing or it's not okay to act this way or be this way or whatever. And that almost you have to go through that process of unlearning that to sort of come back to what was true for you. Yeah. 
Totally. Yeah, that I can resonate with that a lot. And then also, you know, what you said about the time period when you started sharing, you know, more longer form writing on Instagram, this idea of, you know, that's just, that's not what was done, right? You're not supposed to do long captions. This idea of like sort of choosing to ignore common advice, which makes me want to ask you, like maybe for one or two more examples of other areas in your life, of like what's something that either you're like, quote, not supposed to do that you do anyway, or vice versa, right? Stuff that you like are supposed to do that you've opted out of. Oh my gosh. We want like a giant list. (laughs) (laughs) Sure. Um, We have a lot of time here, Noel. (laughs) I feel like, um, I think, uh, being a, uh, a person raised in a Latin family from immigrant parents. And I think, um, maybe, I've had comments about uh, backpacking and rock climbing, that those are white people things, right? But still choosing to do it anyways and really getting into it and really being excited by it and and then bringing people along with me and saying like, oh, it's not just for a certain segment of people, it's for everyone. And and look, you too can love it. Um, I think think just my identity as a female in the outdoors and really appreciate, I mean, I, I have around 45 cousins and I would, and I think, I say, I think because there's like always so many new cousins <laughs> and there's also, yeah, there's just so many, so many, but so many people procreating. And so I think right now, roughly like 85 to 90% of those cousins are girls. So growing up in a community that champions women and, and, and who women are and how they express themselves and then bringing that outside, right? Like I do wear earrings when I backpack and I do like wearing lipstick. I do. I love bright lipstick and I love it in the outdoors and I sometimes bring mascara and stuff like that, that has been shame and, and realizing that I deserve to be able to do that anyways. And going against the grain in that, I think my career choices has always rubbed a lot of societal norms, maybe the wrong way, just in like maybe establishing success in a certain place and then saying, but now I want to do this and kind of the flipping of the table in life, which is, can be jarring, I think, for, for, for folks to hear about or, or even hard to champion and, and still doing that anyways. I think that the values that um, I uphold and, and thankfully my husband uphold too in life are really not generally held as like, well, the way we measure success is probably quite opposite, I think, as what at least society tells us is the ways to measure success. And so um, I think we do a good job echoing back to each other that like this is right and to keep pursuing the things that we value versus what um, maybe is upheld by society. So, I mean, I could keep going. I feel like those are the things that kind of really identify me, though, is just how how I live in a space as a um, from based on my upbringing and as a female and as someone who says um, joy and kinship and and the pursuit of curiosity and being true to yourself is more important than money and capital and you know the footprint that you actually of, of consumption that you that you actually establish in your life. Mm-hmm. I think those are the things that that fall in line with what you have asked. Yeah, I love what you said about you know oh you wear earrings when you're backpacking sometimes or you bring <laughs> lipstick. Like I've been thinking a lot lately about. I mean, whose rules we're following or mm-hmm. like, like, 
when you especially get into like a new hobby or a lifestyle or something that there's a way that it's represented that this has to look like this. And, you know, sure, it's helpful to learn, you know, I mean, I imagine when you were new to any of these things, like I know when I was new to hiking, yeah, it's like helpful to have someone teach you skills, right? Like there are things to learn, but not letting yourself get stuck in like what I think of as an identity cage, right? Like that I'm not a real hiker unless X, Y, Z, right? Or I'm not a real rock climber. I'm not a real whatever that it's like kind of pulling at the threads of, okay, well, why does that have to mean that you can't wear lipstick or that you have to reject like more traditional markers of femininity if that makes you feel good, right? The same way on the flip is like, why should you have to do those things to perform femininity, you know, like in day to day if you don't want, right? That it's like being able to say that it doesn't have to be like, this or that, that you can be someone who enjoys wearing earrings and also enjoys hiking. And like, you can do those things together if you want to or not, you know, but it's- or Yeah, yeah, or not. And you can be whatever you want. You don't have to sacrifice those attributes to to move into a space of the outdoors. The outdoors is, it's, I mean, you're talking about the wilderness. It's for everyone and everything. Like it's, it's not, there's no, there should be no perceived barriers over who fits in or who doesn't fit in, in the purest experience, like in the, in the most, um, I shouldn't say, I hate the word pure. Okay. In the most, um, you know, visceral experience of, of nature and creation. Like we should all feel grounded in who we are in a place where we belong. And, and I think that it's wild that we like put so many, um, markers or, you know, boundaries around what that should feel and look like. Yeah. I mean, and the outdoors obviously is just like a lens with which to talk about this. And I think it could be true in so many different areas of life, like just being able mm-hmm. to create more space, like you said, to be your fullest self, whatever that looks yep. like, even if you're not necessarily like checking the boxes, right? Like I remember yep. this is going to maybe be a superficial example, but you know, some years ago when I basically just stopped wearing high heels. Like I stopped wearing heels, not to say I net, like, I guess I will for a formal event or whatever, if I really feel like I have to, but I don't, it's not comfortable for me. I don't enjoy it. It does it whatever. And I'm like, why am I, why am I doing this? Do you know what I mean? And so it's like, like these small things of like, I don't know that we're just conditioned to be a certain way that to step back and be like, does this actually bring me joy? Do I want to do this? You know? <laughs> exactly. And I think that's a good checks and balance to impose upon ourselves, right? Like never for the sake, never for like, we should never do something that doesn't bring joy, right? Like it shouldn't be at the sake of joy that we engage in something. So that should be, I mean, that's what we've, those are things that we've experienced from their youngest age is like, I like this this feels good to let me do this more, not in a really superficial or like nihilistic sense, like just do whatever you want. Cause the world is like, you're, you're going to die soon. But like, actually like what does flourishing look like for you and what affirms that and what makes, what makes you feel full. And, and, and I think then leading with that versus am I wearing the right gear to fit in with everybody that's hiking in front of behind me on the trail or am I wearing the right shoes for this event? I personally can't wear high heels. I, I, I can't, I physically can't. Um, I've had like foot problems my entire life. And so I can only wear boots. The cool thing that I found, right. I used to like lament that. And then the cool thing, like wearing flat boots or even like, um, chucks with like a dress, like it's cool. It can be cool. It's all about how you like hold it. Right. So, um, I think that, and I'm, and I'm, and it is flourishing in my life. I get to feel comfortable and I can stand on my feet for a long time. So I think listening to that versus forcing ourselves into a way that, that we feel like is imposed upon us. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
Absolutely. So pivoting a little bit, I know that you're in a period of change in, and transition in your work life. And I love talking to people when they're in the midst of making changes because I just think there's something mm-hmm. like very real about not necessarily being able to like tie a bow on something, right? Like, and then I did this thing, right? <laughs> like whatever. <laughs> um, can you, so can you talk about um, just where you're at with that a little bit? Like maybe the work you were doing up until recently and the changes that are happening for you right now? Yeah. So I um, have never, I think, been able to tie up my career path in bows because I um, really like, I jokingly say, and and the only person that knows that it's 100% true is my husband when I say, I wish I could live 200 years because there's so many other jobs I want to do. Like I really, one, enjoy working. Uh, I enjoy learning new things. I enjoy being productive and contributing to um to a, you know, people that have a shared vision. I've, I've always liked doing different things and, and challenging myself. So I did, um, I was in the fashion industry doing, um, a lot of branding, marketing sales, um, and account management work and design work for about 10 years, 11 years, uh, before going to nonprofit and doing nonprofit work for, uh, uh, several years too. Um, and then I have, I recently decided, to take a break from nonprofit work um, and spend time, kind of just spend time, <laughs> spend time working different jobs. I'm like, I don't really know. And here I can't answer what's next for me because I don't really know, right? So spending time, um, taking on projects that that utilize my gifts um, and are needed. Like I love, I love being able to help wherever is needed. And so I've been able to thankfully take on um, five different freelance jobs where I can do what I do well um, in a place where it's valued and really exercise some of the muscles and gifts that I maybe wasn't exercising as much in nonprofit for now. And do I, I probably will end back up in nonprofit at some point. I might not. I really want to go to mechanic school, but I don't know if that <laughs> that's in the cards. But like, I just I'm kind of just figuring out as I go. I and that's always how I've done it, and I really like that. But you know, it doesn't really provide a lot of continuity and in, in income. But I I value other things more than that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can completely relate to that. What type of nonprofit work were you doing? I was working at homeless. I, I worked at homeless shelters, um, mostly mostly residential. I worked, did a little bit of work for a foster family agency, but I, working mostly with young people um, and people that were um, experiencing homelessness for for years. I did that at uh, three different shelters. What do you feel like made you a particularly good fit for that work? I have a lot of hope. I jokingly say that I think. I drink a big gulp of hope in the morning. Um, I think that that really fueled me in doing work that could sometimes leave people really disillusioned or maybe negative or jaded. Um, I really have that. I have um, a a pretty diverse perspective being raised in the context that I was raised in. um, And with that, a lot of empathy uh, for um, how people find themselves in certain situations. And I should say not not that alone either how people are forced into certain positions um how society fails us in a lot of ways how we fail each other in a lot of ways and so um i i didn't come into that work being like let me help these people i came into that work saying how do i help 
my people, people just like me, people just like my family, our people, right? Like ours, we are all human beings and we're all for the most part trying our best. And so I think that it, it was easy to establish kinship with the people that I got to serve, um, every day and, 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 and work alongside. And, um, I think I never spent a day there's tons of sad within the day, right? But I think every day ended with these bright, shining bits of hope that I could hold on to the next day about like what um, transformation and restoration um, looks like in, in the lives of people and, and how tangible that is and how easy it is for um, for it to happen if people work together and just extend themselves in ways that um, maybe they didn't know was valuable to someone in need. Yeah, I love what you said about your own personal experiences being uh, like a generator of empathy for you. Mm-hmm. And so I'm curious, I guess in in whatever context you feel comfortable, would you talk about that a little bit more? You said like the way that I was raised like made me a good fit for this type of work. What do you mean? Yeah, so I was raised in a multicultural family context, or and 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 also multi generational family context. So um, my mom is an immigrant from Mexico. Um, and, and, and we have this massive family that is super diverse and no, and nobody is like doing really, I think everyone is doing well in life, but no one is, you know, extremely wealthy, right. Didn't have like a ton of resources and everyone is still back to what I was saying, doing really well in life. And I think it's because everyone helped everyone and people had everyone's back and someone was always there to support someone. Um, kids never went without food, you know, people didn't go without a bed to sleep in, whether it's on someone's couch or at someone else's house. Right. Uh, everyone had someone home at some point when they came home or a place to stay. Like there was just this abundance of, of wealth of love and, support and just being seen and known. And I realized, I think that that set us apart. I think that set us at an advantage to maybe other people that did have, you know, a car when they were a teenager or like extra clothes. Right. And so, um, and, and in that is a whole lot of mess, right? There isn't one way to be a good mom and there's not one way to be a good employee and there's not one way, um, to you know, to do everything. There's not the the right way. There's probably better ways, more efficient or effective ways. But I saw everybody live a life that I would want to live myself 500 different ways. And that allowed me the perspective to be able and because of maybe because of the, the 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 demographic that my family existed in as an you know as my cousins and I being children of immigrants and my parents and my grandparents being immigrants themselves um, being able to realize how much you can do with so very little and also how the systems of care and this you know society can really creates I think gaps that people fall into and so we can't blame you know being being able to have empathy for and being passionate about bringing visibility to and lifting up um, individuals that I think by no choice of their own are are in situations that they don't deserve. And so th- this was all perspective that I got to see by being in love with people that reflected a lot of those dynamics in their lives and and, and then being able to bring that into the social sector and, and help from that place, I thought um, was really, really, it, it was an, it's an advantage that maybe doesn't seem like an advantage from the outside, but it really felt like one. 
Yeah. Well, I mean, any, any time, I mean, empathy is always an advantage, I think, right. That it's like the ability to be able to connect in that way. And I mean, like you said, in sort of describing your upbringing of that, it sounds like a very communal experience, which uh, like you said, obviously there's pros and cons to everything. Right. And like things are always messier than we think, but being able to, you know, as sort of cliche as the phrase, like it takes a village is right. Like seeing that play out in your life and then being able to like, it sounds like not have a prescriptive approach, right. To like you said, the work that you were doing and the help and the serving and all of that. And yeah, I would definitely, I, I can definitely see why that would make you a good fit for that. Yeah. Yeah. Last thing I wanted to ask about that work in particular. So you said before that, you know, maybe your career path has been like a little bit winding, right? Or that you want to live 200 years, which again, I can, I can completely relate to that, not just in terms of the amount of different work that I want to do, but even things is like, there's not enough years for me to read all the books that I want to read, right? Or just like, <laughs> dude, there's totally. so much out there that I'm interested in. And I've been thinking yeah. as someone who also has a very non-traditional sort of winding career path that I honestly gave myself a really hard time about for a while of, you know, what's wrong with you that you can't just pick one thing or pick one track and stick with it. And I've recently recently, uh, you know, in the last couple of years come to realize that even though, you know, the work might be in different industries or the jobs might not seem like on the surface related to each other, that were the common denominator of everything. So like yes. skills you learn in one job, right? Like it can apply to something else, yep. even if it's something totally different. So yep. I'm kind of curious, especially as you're going through a transition and, you know, like you said, taking on freelance projects, doing some things that I know we'll talk about, but that are, I think more on like the traditionally creative side, what do you feel like? Like you've taken from the work that you were doing like most recently in the nonprofit sector, like what are you taking with you into your other yeah. work? So I think it's so great that you said that. And I feel like sometimes when I'm trying to explain my career path to people, I, I forcibly draw those connections and it, it feels maybe sometimes convoluted to people, which I'm like, how do you not see that this is like, I've been doing the same thing forever <laughs> um, because I do feel like I've been doing the same thing forever. So I love people, love, like their people are the best. They're my favorite. I want to talk to people. I want to do things with people. So that's um, something that's always been a common denominator, whether it's, it's helping bring visibility, advocating for and serving, or whether it's like trying to meet a need or solve a problem, um, which is ultimately what I think sales and, and even, you know, product development always is, is we're always trying to meet needs. Um, and I love helping. I love coming alongside and making things a reality for people. I am not a visionary in myself. I never will claim to be. I love visionaries and I love people um, with, with great plans and I like actually helping execute them. So um, when, when I take like if anyone's ever taken the Enneagram, I feel like it's such an informative way of reflecting your truths back to you. Um, and also establishing, we said empathy, but across like different personality types, my, my personality type, when you see what jobs it would do, it's everything that I've already done and what I continue to love. And so if I'm with people, working with people, helping solve a problem or meet a need, I'm flourishing. And that's what I've always been doing and just in different ways. So I actually don't think I zigged and zagged that much, even though if you looked at my resume, you would be like, so what what was the ultimate plan here? Like, I don't know, just do what I'm good at. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm interested in your experience of working full-time in social service while doing your own work. I mean, I guess if we can call it creative work or something else like on the side, how long did those two overlap? Forever. I mean, I think I've been doing, um, I guess, whatever creative, like 
photo work and and writing here and there. Uh, well, I guess I shouldn't say forever, for years, for a, a handful of years. And um, it was all at the same time as doing my work and non- working in nonprofit. Yeah. And it was a fun way to be able to do. I don't think I would like to have said that my jobs in nonprofit allowed me to really exercise my creativity, but it did it. And that's okay. I got to be able to do that through stuff on, on the side, which is really was really fun. So it helped my brain and my heart feel full, right? By the end of the week. Um, and so I think I, I love having my hand in different pots anyways. So it's fun to do, to do a little, a, a little bit of different, you know, things and fulfill certain needs and desires and gifts in, in other areas, not just, I think sometimes we do that about work. We also do that in relationships, right? We say like, this needs to satisfy everything. Um, and that's a lot of pressure to put on any thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it's usually not the reality. So I think it's sometimes for me, it feels really cathartic to say like, this satisfies this thing. And then th- there's other ways to satisfy other things outside of that. Right. Yeah. I, I love that you're bringing this up. I remember some years ago, I wish I remember either what book it was, or I don't have the right person to attribute this to, but you know, Disney princess movies teach you to idealize, like having, finding a prince charming, a relationship to meet all of your needs, this idea of a job charming that, you know, this is going to be the path that it's my passion work and it brings me yes. like financial affluence and all like the, all the things have to yes. get met by one thing. And I guess, sure, that's lovely if it can happen. But like you said, it's so much pressure to put on any one thing. And I Honestly, yeah. like you just said it so well, it's really freeing to be like, okay, my needs are, you know, let's say my need is to earn a living and to have fun and to, yep. you know, have great people to collaborate with, right? Whatever all those things are. If all of those don't get met by the same thing, like what if that's okay, right? Like what if, you yeah. know, this one, this job meets criteria A and B and this other hobby meets, you know what I mean? Like uh, OPQ, you yes. know, whatever the other things are. It's like yes. opening that up a little bit, I feel like is very real, <laughs> Yes. And I think it's, I think it's really healthy. And then I think it allows us to see op- a lot of opportunities that we might've been missed otherwise, right? Like, God forbid, I just, everything be, same thing with relationships. I was just talking to someone the other night where they were talking about um, their partner and how, oh, I just wish that we, I, you know, you and your husband don't like very many of the same things. And I need, you know, I, I want to find someone that I like all the same things. And I thought like, but then you, what do you miss? You know what I get? Like, I get to go backpacking with people that like aren't even friends with my husband. I get to go meet up and do activities outdoors with folks that love that, that my husband's like, Sayonara, I didn't want, want to do that. Right. Like this is, it's a joy. It creates so much more abundance for me to not try to find every single thing in this one place. And same with work. Like uh, I don't need my job to satisfy every single part of my life. You know what I also have? I have hobbies and sports and neighbors and family members and like dogs, right? I have, I have a bunch of other opportunities to fill those buckets and that, and that allows me to grow and be challenged and, and be connected in greater ways than if I found that all in one place. So I actually think it's, it's a, it's a much better version of life to, to not uphold that as, as a, as a stop, you know, the one thing that fills every bucket for your life. Right. That like, I have to find my one capital P passion. Otherwise I'm going to be miserable forever. And I I mean, again, like if that is the case, if someone does have like one burning thing, like that's awesome, go for it. Right. But I think it's much more common not to. And, you know, similarly to what we were talking about, about, you know, 
I can either be someone who likes wearing earrings or I can be a backpacker. Yes. It's the same idea of like looking at what, okay, we're told that a job or, you know, a primary romantic relationship has to meet such and such criteria and has to look a certain way. And just to be able to like step back and take a little bit of distance and say, okay, well, what do I need from this? Right. And like, I I recently had a conversation with someone who was talking about um, her job and it's not something that she hates. It's not out of integrity. She was like, I do this for money and I'm totally fine with that. And I leave at the end of the day and like that's, you know, and then that money lets me do my other pursuits and other passions. And it was just this like really kind of like neutral way to talk about it. And I don't know, just something in that like really stayed with me of like, oh yeah, this can just be the thing that you do for money. (laughs) It can be. And that doesn't like take away the value of it, right? Like you still have to do a good job to earn a paycheck and, and, you know, most jobs deserve you to do a good job. So I feel like it still doesn't, it doesn't, it sounds very less like unromantic, like, oh, wah, wah. But like, why? I mean, you're still doing something well, you're helping support, you know, X, Y, or Z, whether it's something you, that like keeps your heart beating or not, like it's still something. Um, And for someone, it means a lot. And I, I think that that doesn't, we shouldn't be disappointed in, in that. I mean, some people just eat healthy because they're trying to eat healthy. It doesn't mean they think everything they eat is delicious at that moment. And that's okay. It doesn't mean like, oh, what a disappointing way to live your life. Like, no. Yeah. It's like, I think, and I don't know if this is, you know, the internet or social media or whatever, uh, like wanting to have the like really big shiny moments and that type of stuff. Like a lot of life just sort of is, which doesn't mean that it can't be like joyful. Right. And pleasure in the little moments, but like you just, most of the time it just like go to work, right. You just like do the things, you know? And Right. And those, I think there's a perspective on those that like deserves to maybe be reframed too, because those can be good. I think that what nature shows us and what I, what really I think helps fuel my like evergreen hope is that there is beauty in the mundane. You walk out into the forest, it's the same forest as was there yesterday and the day before. It doesn't need you to, to exist. I mean, it, we definitely help preserve wild spaces and keep them the way that they are, or maybe better, but like, and yet it's just what is beautiful is leaves on the ground and birds in the trees and the way the breeze moves through the leaves. And like, these are very, they're things that happen every day when you're not there and they're stunning. And I think that there's things about our lives that can be looked at in the same way. I think that there's breathtaking beauty in very mundane aspects of my life and the lives of others that comes right down to how we extend ourselves to other people, what we enjoy, what feels peaceful, what feels riveting, what like there's these just these really lovely nuggets that happen that are often overlooked because we think because it's not Instagram worthy or because it's not something that I feel like half the stories that fill me up that I want to share. I was just thinking last night about my favorite memory of my grandma and it doesn't, it doesn't it's not romantic or beautiful or striking. And it yet it is the thing that I think about when I go to bed at night and I'm trying and I just want to settle my brain. I, I remember something beautiful that is probably nothing that anybody ever remembered. Mm -hmm. And so I think that those are the things that it's good for us to constantly reframe. Like this is beautiful. This is like, there's loveliness at, in every minute. Um, and it doesn't have to be the thing that you take a picture or write about and it, and it, calls everybody to this, you know, level of inspiration. It it can just be okay and still be great, you know, and still be wonderful. Mm -hmm. Will you share the memory of your grandma? 
Yeah, I'm going to do it without crying. I don't know why it means so much to me. We um, we would always we would always camp. So we'd always camp. It's like I grew up. I we we literally always camped. <laughs> we were like almost always some either in a tent or in my grandpa's old Winnebago. And so they used to, um, which is a very this is a very normal thing for our family, which I think people find find odd. But we would like bring recreational vehicles and stuff to like each other's houses and sleep in driveways. Like it's a very normal thing. And um, and so my grandparents would come to my parents' house and they would bring this old RV, this old Winnebago. And then sometimes I would rent a campsite down by the river um, where my, my parents lived kind of in the middle of nowhere, even though we spent most of our time in San Jose with my massive family. But they would sometimes for a break drive up to my parents' house. They parked down by the river and we'd camp five minutes away from my home with my grandparents. And one day we were asking, we were, we were in the water. There's these like sucker fish in the San Lorenzo River that stick to the rocks. And we would always like put on um, goggles and go down. And we were going like, what, a foot or two down into the river. And we would like stare at them. And we thought they were so cool. And so one day we were begging my grandma. She was in over in the campground. My grandma used to make tortillas at camp, which is like, what goddess on earth does that? And she was <laughs> right. Like, Oh my God, if I could marry someone like my grandma. And so she's like making tortillas and we were begging her. She has this big embroidered house dress on and her chanclas. And she's like making tortilla and we're like, come into the river and look at these fish. And she's like, I know I'm doing this. And we're like, come into the river and look at these fish. And, and has it like, she's kind of hesitant and she goes, okay. And so she follows us down to the river and she has these like big, she always had these very decorative, big, thick glasses. And she had this big dress and it was baby blue with embroidery. And she walks right into the river with her house shoes on, her like little sandals, with this dress on, with these big, they were like rosy hued um, lenses, big glasses. And she like leans down into the water and and floats there in the current with all of this on and i remember going down with my goggles on and looking up at her and seeing her with her glasses still in the water <laughs> and she was like this like flowing like there was like all this like her dress is so big she was like a bigger woman and had this like giant dress and it was like everywhere and i remember thinking that this is the most beautiful thing in the world like this is like my grandma's just the most spectacular. And then she got out of the water. She walked all the way out of the water, still with her chunk glass, with her dress soaking wet, still with the glasses on. And we were like, wow, like grandma did that. And like, what, I don't even know, like how, like that must've been the most inconvenient thing to be that wet in the middle of dinner. Anyways, we went back and we were like, grandma went in the water to look at the fish. And my grandpa said, she what? And we went, she like went in the water to look at the fish. And my grandpa said, no. And and he said, yes. And he looked over and she was soaking wet. And he whispered to me, do you know your grandma can't swim and she's scared of drowning? And I think for whatever reason in that moment, I like realized how much she loved me. Mm. Cause like she knew like how much fun we were having. And I didn't realize that at that moment where I was looking at this person and thinking she looked like this like sea angel that like she was probably facing her greatest fear in that one of her greatest fears in that moment and like did it just because there was like 
bunch of little girls bugging her to come do the thing that they had been doing for the past couple hours. Right. And like, I don't know why that moment I like, I still remember that that's like one of the purest experiences of like love and adoration and just like how much spirit she had. Cause I, I, I don't like, I don't ever want to go skydiving. I think it sounds like the most terrifying thing in the world. And if like, (laughs) if like my grandchildren like come skydiving with me, I'd still be like, fuck no, like no, (laughs) bye-bye. Right. And yet she like terrified of drowning, which I also, it also in a way brought her down to this level where she was like, not, she was like human. I didn't know until that moment that my grandma couldn't swim. I had no clue. I mean, I wouldn't have begged her to go in the water otherwise, right? So there was like so much about that moment that just meant a lot to me in so many different ways. And and also just the way she looked. It looked like a M. Night Shyamalan like um, snippet from a movie where she like just was like the water was all around her and her whole dress and the light shining behind her. And I was like, this is what this is what I want to be one day. Mm. <laughs> so I hope I embody that spirit some in some way and in the way that I lived my life, that I could be the person that just full dress and glasses goes in, faces their fears in like a rushing river because, because it's fun for someone. Right. And, and, and because of that, it's fun for me, maybe. Yeah. That's such a beautiful story. Thank you for sharing that. I, I also think there's something in that. It's funny, like where connections come from that like is actually a lot about what we're talking about, about work or like how to find purpose or meaning, right? Like that this moment that was so impactful for you that you still remember it and you feel emotional sharing it, right? Like that it's, it seems like a nothing moment, right? Like this isn't necessarily part of this like carefully crafted narrative that we tell about ourselves or our career, that there's so many ways to make an impact, right? On real people in your real life and that it doesn't always necessarily like look the way that we think that it's going to look. And I don't know, there's just like something really human about that. Yeah. And I think it's, it's, it's exciting, right? Like when I think of that story, I tell my sister who was there with me that day, she's like, I kind of remember that. Like, I'm like, this is like the moment where I felt the most love from someone who had expressed adoration and love for me and support for me my entire life, my grandma. But like, it was this little thing that she probably, if she was alive right now, and I told her that she would crack up because she's like, that was probably stupid, right? Like I, that was probably like, I wouldn't do that again, but like I did it in a moment for you. And, and yet like, it's something that I carry decades later with me as like, this is when I felt seen and known and, and adored. And, and also when I admired you most was when you did this very little insignificant thing. Yeah. Staying with this topic of family for a second. I don't remember, I think it was a while ago that you, probably sometime last year that you said this on Instagram and correct me if I'm misremembering, but it was something you were talking about, about the idea of like being your mother's wildest dream. I think there was something, something in that, that you were reflecting on. And, um, I don't know, I would love for you to talk about that a little bit. Yeah. So my friend, Bam, um, who has a fantastic Instagram account, they, um, they 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 wrote a piece and they had wrote a narrative over, I, I think it was a while ago about being their ancestors' wildest dream and so that was something that really inspired me because um, 
not because I've achieved some level of success that that my family, you know, toiled in central the fields of Central California for me to get here, right? But more that the this experience of joy and abundance and fulfillment, the ability to reestablish values and go after them boldly, um, the ability to be willing to change directions and take risks, um, to redefine myself and then re-redefine myself. These are all wild privileges, like way measurable and much more richness than a massive bank account. And I think that when my mom endured what she endured, when my grandparents endured what they endured, that they never once imagined that they would be the reason why someone would get to the point where they say, "I'm, I'm willing to take this spur trail in life versus stay on the, the trodden path, right? I'm willing to jump when I have an opportunity to, even though I'm not exactly sure uh, where this is going to lead me. I think that, um, I, th- I, th- I was telling my husband this the other night, I think you dream of this, but you think it's going to take multiple generations to get there. Um, the fact that myself and even my siblings and my cousins, like that we are experiencing the lives that we're living and we have the security and confidence to to be able to take risks and say no and say yes and 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 define ourselves on our own terms is like I don't think anyone imagined that we would be here so soon and so I feel really rich in that and I also every probably every day, if not, maybe every other day, acknowledge that privilege and I'm very, very grateful for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love that. So switching topics a little bit, um, while working your full-time job, you were traveling part-time, right? With your husband in your converted camper van. Um, and I am interested, so interested in talking about sort of logistically how that worked for you, because I think that a lot of what we see and a lot of what we're told about like being adventurous or living an adventurous life, or especially if we want to, you know, drill down into, you know, more specific niches of like the outdoors, right. Or hiking, backpacking things, you know, obviously that you said that you're into or like van life, any of these things, like it's like, there's people that do it full time. And like, that's what it means to like be adventurous. And then like, there's people that don't do it at all. And I think that that's a myth. And I think it's actually quite a destructive one. And I would love for you to talk about your experience of like going to these beautiful places and like doing this type of adventurous stuff, but doing it part time. Yeah. So I, I, we, we did that. We've done that for years and years and years and years. Um, we actually were, we got our first van like six years ago. And, um, we, before that we were spending, um, most weekends, uh, either sleeping in a tent or sleeping in our car. And we actually, and we, the reason that we got, we saved up and we're excited to get a van is it made things like just a teeny bit easier to accommodate the fact that we were bailing out of the city on Fridays and coming back on late Sunday nights or early Monday mornings. Um, so having your like underwear and stuff already packed in a vehicle with like a fridge going felt like pretty spectacular. Um, we, 
there's so many people I feel like that will ask like, um, how do you establish like balance in that? Like no balance, just for the record, like we, we, we would sometimes overextend ourselves, but it was always worth it. Like getting off of work and piling into a van and then bailing and then hiking all weekend and then coming back and doing your laundry at midnight so that you can get back to work on Monday. Um, we still do that more often than not. There's never a moment where we regret it. I think that it allows us to do the freedom to be able to do work that we, um, believe in that we love that is challenging to us. I think that it, it is, fun because it's fun and then and and is contrasted by the times that we're not doing it I think at some point maybe we would live more mobile if we both had the opportunity to do so and I think that but it doesn't mean we would have to to feel adventurous or feel like we're fully committed to several different lifestyles I I grew up being a weekend warrior my parents used to pick us up from school and take us camping and then bring us back to school. Like we would just like skip going home. My parents still camp and my dad commutes to work from the campsite. (laughs) So like, it's just, I think being able to think more of like in, you know, how to integrate being adventurous and outdoorsy into your life versus thinking you have to sacrifice what you already are doing um, or modify it wildly to be adventurous or outdoorsy. Uh, I think that also, what is adventurous and outdoorsy? Like adventurous means sometimes just going to your local regional park. Adventurous sometimes means saying yes to um, a job offer that sounds like a little bit more than what you could do. I think being outdoorsy means going outside. So I don't think that, I think we put qualifiers around things that make it feel like really marginalizing and create barriers for for people to, to feel like they fit in. I, I feel privileged being being raised, just being like, oh, you're outdoorsy and adventurous because you like that's what you lead with, not necessarily these like identifying factors of your life. So we, I find it really fun to be able to juggle both and for both to matter a lot and to, to be able to kind of, I mean, have it all and have it all be a lot. Like by have it all, that means like working a 60 hour week and going outside for several nights a week. Like that is a lot, but it's fun. And, and you you can squeeze a lot into a week if you try. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, I, 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 I always like to encourage people, especially when, um, young families and whatnot too, like, um, there's ways to make things tangible that doesn't have to be either this or that. It can be both. And and there's ways to get creative around making, uh, allowing things to intersect more in, in your life and and being able to, to do the things you enjoy and also do the things you have to do together. Um, and I think it's just about shifting perspective and and sometimes a little bit of sacrifice. Like it isn't the funnest to like clean all your backpacking gear at on Sunday night at like 11 PM before work, but shoot, I mean, it beats not. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, um, yeah. Yeah. I think, I mean, there's so much in here that I feel really grateful that you're speaking to. Cause I think that it's really easy to say like, you know, I'll spend more time outdoors when, or if that right. Like yeah. to put like really a lot of conditions on things, which isn't to say that there aren't sometimes like real barriers. Right. But yep. that it's like, you no, know, you don't actually have to not work 
a full-time job, right. In order to do this, or it doesn't have to look a certain way. Or like I thought about this, I was hiking for three months this year. And like, even that, like being able to take that much time off, right. Like that, first of all, is not something that everyone can do. It's also not something that everybody wants to do. It's, I don't even right. know that it's something that I want to do, right. Like that was a long time. <laughs> like, so it's like this idea that it doesn't like count more if it's like the more extreme version. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I think that that's, it's a little bit of a snooty. What I, I also think if it's your everything, that's super cool too. Like not to knock the, like, I actually do this for a living and for fun. Like we said before, like, if that's your thing, like that's badass. but also it doesn't have to be your thing for you to, for you to count as like, someone in the outdoors, right? It right. Also like it, no it, one's passing out, like you don't have to like pass a certification to like be someone who spends time outdoors. Do <laughs> you know what I mean? That it's like, there's lots no. of different ways. Yeah. <laughs> no. And I do get really like irked by, um, the qualifiers that are placed on like w- descriptive words, like outdoorsy, because like it's being out <laughs> outside. That's it. And like, let's not make this a thing that is something that people have to qualify for because it's the free, easy, tangible thing. And, and it, and to make it marginalizing is this a, your local national forest does is poorly represented by you. If you make it exclusive, like it is, they, those trees do not want that for them. Like we don't get to speak for wild places and by making it a place that we make people feel prevented from accessing. In Mm -hmm. fact, I think the more welcoming we make the outdoors and the more we lower barriers to accessing them, the more we're honoring the wild spaces and beings around us that can't speak for themselves. And, and the more we're also being able to, in that same, like to that same point, be able to to advocate, help create more advocates for these spaces. And, um, you, you can't be excited, passionate, or defensive about something you don't know well, which is a lot of the work that I did in nonprofit was like, Hey, can you come to a shelter and like spend time so that you can fall in love with people that are just like you and, and you can't go home and be like, well, I hope they figure it out, right? No, you want to fight for them. I think the same thing is that in the outdoors, we the more we get people outside, you do not walk through our local regional park is like Redwood Regional Park. You don't walk through that and go, well, I hope these trees do a good job looking out for themselves. Like mm-hmm. you say like, no, this, this, we deserve more of this. This deserves to be here forever. I want other people to see that. And so uh, I think we really, it's really important for us to make the outdoors the most inclusive place, the easiest thing to access and something that everybody identifies themselves in some way with. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love that. Tell me the story of how you came to buy your first van. Was that your idea? My husband's idea? Oh my gosh. It was my idea. I wanted to buy a van since I was like five. So I grew up in the mountains of Santa Cruz and in Santa Cruz County, there's like VW central. And so my whole life, like there was like all these people with vans. And then my, my aunt, um, had this like big Chevy conversion van with like a big Raiders, um, flag inside. And I was like, this is the shit. And so like my whole life, I was like, get me into one of those. And then when I met my husband, I was like, I'm going to get a van. This was a long time ago before there was a hashtag attributed to it. And he was like, I'm not because that's stupid. They're going to break. It's going to break down. It's something to fix. 
but we're not doing that. So we tented and backpacked, like I mentioned forever. Um, and then, and I kept saying like, I want a van, I want a van. He's like, no, it's not happening. Noel. like at best we'll get a trailer side note. The reason why we haven't still opted to a trailer, which would actually be a more sustainable way of traveling because there isn't an engine in it, um, is because we already argue enough, we say. And I think that backing a trailer into a spot would would put us over the threshold of what's <laughs> actually doable, <laughs> doable in our lives. So until we get to a better place, I say this after 10 years of marriage, like, I don't think we can have a trailer <laughs> yet because we don't need another reason to yell at each other. Um, so... So we, I kept saying, I want a van. He's like, I don't, I don't want to have any part of that. And then one night we were camped in the high desert, uh, um, in Northern Arizona and it was like freezing. I mean, freezing upon freezing, uh, 20 something degrees outside. We, Johnny had put his, um, pants, his third pair of pants on and tied off the ends to like not let air go through it. It was really sad. And, and the whole time we're like, we maybe should just leave because it's just too cold. We had dogs at this point. Um, and so we couldn't actually all fit in the car that we had. Um, so we, at that point, weren't sleeping in the car, which would have been warmer. And this, this couple with a Westie pulled up next to our campsite and they, they pulled into their spot and they flicked the light on the lights on inside. And I watched the guy take out a tea kettle and set it on the stove inside. And she grabbed a book and walked to the passenger seat, kicked her legs up and started reading. And I think this all probably happened in like, what, a minute? It was like slow motion. And I, and Johnny and I were both staring at it through our tent window. And I looked at him and, and he looked at me at the same time and he goes, fuck it. We're getting a van. <laughs> I was like, right. Like, can we, didn't we, we've done this for so long. Let's try a new version of this. Um, so we, then I started looking for vans at truth be told after that interaction, it was a year and a half or two, almost two years until I found a, a van that was in good enough shape that was within our price point. And then we bought the van and we've actually bought it from people. And this was like five years ago, six years ago, maybe we bought it from people who maybe, maybe less than that. I'm bad at time. So we bought it from people that we're still friends with today and they're really wonderful people. And in fact, I sold my last van to someone that I'm still friends with today. And we bought that van also from someone that we're so, I feel like the van community is cool. Like, I don't think that anybody is looking to buy or sell a van that I probably wouldn't be friends with. So it's also been a fun way to just meet people. Um, but I remember Neil, who we bought our first van from, was like, he told us two things. When we drove it off, at, right before we drove it out of his driveway, always keep underwear and socks inside so that you're always ready to go at any time, which I thought was the, when we still do that religiously to this day, it was just the cutest hint. And then two, start hashtagging. Well, this was four years ago because there was still there was a hashtag, right? Start hashtagging everything. Hashtag home is where you park it. And I was like, okay. <laughs> and then, so we just started doing it. And then it was like something we couldn't, I could, you know, we'll always have some type of recreational vehicle if we can sustain it. Cause it's super fun. I love that so much. <laughs> so, so it sounds like you're on your third van now. We're on our third van. Okay. Yeah. I'm embarrassed to admit that, but Why? it's, 
um, because I wish I had it all figured out from the beginning. And I wish, I mean, you know, those people that have a van and then they like keep it forever. Neil's one of them. He has this really cool synchro that he's just had forever. And I'm like, I want to be that person, but I'm like, not that person. Mind you, I've like have a bazillion different jobs all the time. So like, I, we got the VW and we were like, the VW, like pop top is not our thing. And then we got the sprinter. And then there was so many things that weren't about that, that weren't right about that. Cause mostly it was so expensive to fix. And then we moved to a Ford mostly for ease of fixing. And so, yeah, I wish I had like I do definitely like helping people talk through certain things now through all the lessons I've learned because there's definitely, there's not a wrong, right or wrong way to do it, but there's things that are better for you that might not work for somebody else. Like, and so I think it's good to have conversations around that so you don't end up going through so many things in such a short period of time. But yeah, we're on our third van. Uh, well, can you actually, I'm super interested in that. Can you give some specific examples, like either for you guys, like maybe specific changes or intentional choices that you made in regard to like this most recent one based on what you learned, or like you said, you like talking it out with people. Like I'd love if you yeah. could get more specific. So I think what we learned, um, is that for us, because we are big time backpackers and we were big time tent campers, we didn't need the bells and whistles that a lot of folks needed. So we didn't need electrical anything. We right now have um, a couple LED puck lights on the top of our van and then enough to run the electric cooler off of a, a secondary um, 12 volt battery. That's all we need. So we don't need, we actually, I hate the sound of an electric water pump. And so having a manual pump was better for me and also not this like annoying grinding sound in the middle of the wilderness. We also did it. We realized we do everything outside standing up in the sprinter. I was cooking inside and I always felt like really excluded being an extreme introvert or extrovert while everyone's outside chatting. And I'm like, well, just trying to hurry up and make food so I can go hang out with people. Um, so we thought, you know, we didn't even need to be able to stand up inside. It's, it's, we want to sleep warm and, that's probably the most important thing. We wanted something that was easy to fix and, and cheap to fix. So for us, this the benefits of the sprinter, being able to stand up inside, which is definitely, if that's important to someone, like do not deny that about yourself. If you want to stand up inside your vehicle, get a vehicle you can stand up inside. Um, but for us, we didn't need that. We didn't need some of the more involved electrical stuff or solar panels because we drive all day every day. There's stuff that's so pared down, but so unique to our needs about this van. Um, um, But the big factor was really um, ease of fixing it out in the middle of nowhere. So we, we, we do spend a lot of time in little towns where there's one mechanic, if any, and we found that it was, it was a little bit trickier to, to find places to fix the sprinter when things came up, harder to find parts with a Ford. I feel like everyone's like, you can find one on like some someone's property. They have like spare parts hanging around um, and they don't change a lot about their parts for a long time. And it's, and it's, it's much more affordable repairs are. And because of our income level, we just couldn't sustain um, something more specialized. And so this was the right fit for us. That being said, I have a lot of friends with sprinters. I know a lot about them and they are great vehicles and the perks um, that, that they offer that are really important to people are well worth it. It just, I think it, things vary for different people. And so I think a lot of the conversations I have is like, what's important to you and what do you like and what do you need? And then also listen to that, right? If you say, I mean, I think I don't want to stand up, but like we go to the snow a lot, but I think it'd be fine. Like, no, 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 (laughs) it wouldn't be fine. 
it, you, you don't, don't just don't compromise certain things, mm-hmm. but, but make sure that also some of the things that you can compromise, um, you don't have to have a great solar setup. You know, you might try running things off a of 12 volt for a while. If you're driving around a lot, it might be worth a sacrifice. So these are all conversations that are fun to have and things that we learned. And also all that to say, a lot of the stuff we learned are so unique to us and our needs and is not the same for everybody. And so I do feel like I spend a lot of conversations being like, no, don't, I have a friend and her and her husband and her kid are moving into uh, a vehicle and, and they're, and, and maybe just, they're like, I think we could do without a toilet, but they have like a little kid, like, but maybe also maybe a toilet would be great. Like, and if you could have one, there's no point in sacrificing not having one. And, um, I have friends that have build sprinters with toilets and it's like saves their life with little kids or pregnant moms, stuff like that. So uh, I think it's just fun to realize not one side, one way fits all and, and connect people with people that are doing it different ways and figure out what's best. Yeah. I mean, I feel like this is a theme that's coming out of a lot of what you have shared so far in this conversation of like going through the process of having an honest conversation with yourself of like, what actually matters to me, right? Like how do I yeah. feel best? Like what, it, you know, cause like you said, like what you need is maybe different from what I need. And also that you like learn over time, right? Like I, I mean, obviously I'm at the very beginning stages right now of working on my own van build. And so it's my first time. So also you don't know what you don't know, right? Like I've had great mentors and friends help and I've done a ton of research and like, you know, people like you, like great resources. And also I just sort of assume I'll figure it out as I go, right? Like something that I think maybe is or is not important to me, I might learn that the opposite is true. And so it makes sense to me that you've gone through different vehicles and done different things, right? That it's like, we're very rarely going to get it right the first time. Sure. Sure. And I think that's also a good thing to say, right? Which is a lot of conversation I have too. Like, please don't toil and, and lament over like what you can and cannot have from the beginning and what would be perfect and what wouldn't be because probably you're going to want it different the second you, you know, drive that van out to the back, you know, to to, like up some BLM road to, you're going to figure out things that you wish you would have done differently. And that's part of the fun of it. I mean, we're all making consolations about different things for the sake of something else. And you're never going to be like, shoot, I shouldn't have got a van. You'll be stoked you have a van. You just, you might be like, shoot, I needed this or I didn't need this. And that's okay to learn. Yeah. I mean, and that's true with everything. So why wouldn't it be true, right? With van stuff. Um, True. True. Something else that I've heard you say that I'd love for you to expand on is this idea that you live out of your van, not in your van. Can you talk about that? Oh yeah. Vans, be it vans or cars or tents or whatever else we're utilizing, it it really is just a vessel to get outside and experience the outdoors more. And so I think um, that maybe, like we talked about about other things, maybe we put too much pressure on these things. They're not, maybe they won't, they likely won't meet every need. But the ultimate objective is to get outside and enjoy being um, in the wild and you know have the peace and quiet and freedom of of exploring and adventuring outdoors. And so it is a success in that it's serving its purpose because you're getting outside and enjoying it. And there's always going to be things that you wanted to change and that's okay because ultimately you're doing what it's meant for and, and getting away and getting outside. Mm -hmm. I'm interested since you have a lot of experience traveling in a van and sharing a small space, like living with your partner, I'm interested Mm -hmm how you think your relationship is different, like from having traveled and lived together in such a small space? 
I think coming into our relationship, our ideals around personal space were very different. Um, I never had my own room growing up. Um, in fact, for a good chunk of my life, I didn't have my own bed because I shared a bed. Um, I, I didn't mind being like, I, I didn't mind sharing really tight spaces with people. Um, and also doing your own thing, right? Like being independent in that, like I didn't have to like have to be engaging this person in the room with me. In fact, growing up the way to like self-sustain was to learn to not do that. Otherwise you'd like literally drive each other crazy. Right. So you learn to like be, preserve your own sense of self and boundaries by like being able to be autonomous in like what you're choosing to do and how you're engaging things, even though someone's right in on top of you. Um, and Johnny had a lot more, uh, privilege and, um, square resources in terms of square footage growing up. And so he just didn't, he, but he didn't mind it. He, he was like, Oh, this is also a way of doing life. And I'm like, yeah, you could just like not have extra space. Um, and then I think it started to actually inform our values around, um, consumption, um, and expression of privilege when it comes to actual physical space, right? And like not taking too much, um, not taking more than we need. And so we really value taking up less space because we don't need a lot of space. And 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 that being said, there's people that do need more space. And so we don't struggle. And full disclosure, we live in the smallest square. We, the smallest footprint, our home during the week is the smallest footprint in our zip code. So we're still in a teeny space. Um, it's, and our van is our spare bedroom. Like we, we just have a little, basically like a studio situation and then the van. And so, um, we're just used to being right next to each other all the time. That doesn't mean we're talking all the time. It definitely doesn't mean we're not fighting a definite or, or fighting more controversial like right like it's just it's just a more compact version of the same things that everyone deals with I think it's just getting used to like not valuing that massive buffer of of like physical space between you and someone else for you to feel like you're flourishing Mm -hmm. um but yeah so it's like it, it isn't a it wasn't as much of a struggle physically to to accommodate to that it was more like making sure that the way we've expressed ourselves physically in life reflects the values that we're upholding. And so I feel like living small does. And anytime we're frustrated about like last night, um, I work from home right now, three days a week. And yesterday, Jonathan came home early because it was, uh, storming and he didn't want to go back up the freeway back to work. So he's going to work from home and he took a call. And in our house, like if you take a call, you're talking at the other person in the house, even if that person's not engaged in that call. It's like so annoying. Um, and so he was like, it seemed like yelling, but he wasn't yelling. And I was trying to finish up a project for work. And, and yeah, even in those times when you're like, can you just talk quieter? Like, good Lord, you still recognize this is like a really lovely problem to have because I'm willing to sacrifice certain accommodations and comfortability for the sake of not over consuming more than my share of, of what I need. Mm. And I don't need more. I can tolerate my husband's 45 minute, very exuberant conversation with someone on the phone while I'm trying to concentrate over, 
you know, making sure we have that extra bedroom that someone can go in and close the door that is not used otherwise, if that's not like a too philosophical explanation or answer to that question. No, it's fantastic. I feel like you're speaking to something that I think about a lot, this idea that living your values isn't always sexy. No, it isn't. In fact, I think oftentimes it goes, it can look odd or go against the flow or feel uncomfortable. And I think that that's okay too. I think a big point of conviction that I, that I wrestled with starting um, as I left the fashion industry into nonprofit was that I was taking up more space than I needed to actually, like I just, I, I was consuming more and required more than I actually needed. And I think that that was uh, my, um, sister-in-law read a prayer on Thanksgiving eight years ago, nine years ago. And one part of the prayer said, let us not take too much. And I started to cry because I realized at that moment I was taking too much and I probably was not taking more than, you know, certain people to the right or left of me. Right. Or maybe not. But like, for me, I recognize I don't need the things that I require and I need to reframe what I'm valuing and make sure that my behavior is reflecting that. And so that's, I think when we started to really pare things down and reestablish what, what we needed. And we, we very much impress upon ourselves that everything we have, whether it's clothing or square footage or gear must be used well and often. Otherwise we need to recalibrate one, why, what informed us of purchasing that? Um, and two, where can it be better utilized? Um, because I'm not, I definitely don't want to get in the habit of just collecting shit to have shit. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, I think I think that it's all that to say having the struggles of living small is a the weight is a gift, right? Cuz I get to constantly reaffirm within myself what matters most to me. Yeah, I think there's a lot in there that's really important. I mean, again, this idea that what living your values and reaffirming what's important to you doesn't mean it's going to be simple or easy all the time and that's fine, right? Like I think a lot of what you're speaking to just opens up more space for a more complex truth. It can be the right choice for you and still sometimes be frustrating, right? Like I think, again, not like looking for like a Prince Charming living situation, right? Like always there's going to be shit, right? Like, and so it's like being able to be like, okay, like this, these are my values. This is what these things, some things have to matter more than others, right? So it's like, these are the things that are the most important. Here's what it looks like for my partner and I to live these values. Okay. And sometimes they're going to be like screaming on the phone for 45 minutes and we're frustrated and that's, fine, right? Or like, I've been thinking about that specifically in doing my van build because uh, I mean, I I chose a smaller vehicle height wise and I'm not going to be able to sit up in bed. (laughs) And I'm like, yeah, that's probably going to be really inconvenient. Maybe I wind up hating it or maybe not, or I'm not going to have a toilet or about any of those things. And also I think it's fine. And I don't know. So I think there's like a sort of permission slip in what you're saying that like you can pursue the things that are important to you without expecting them to be perfect all the time. And when it gets frustrating, it doesn't necessarily mean that it's not still the right choice. Like I hear that coming through in what you're saying. And also it's refreshing, you know, to hear what you said a couple of times of this idea of like not taking more than you need, but you're not saying it in this like 
martyring yourself way, right? It's not Mm -mm. like put yourself last, don't meet any of your own need. Like, no, no, it's like recognizing what enough is for you, right? Like at your truest state. And like you said, that's going to be different for you maybe than it's going to be for someone who has different circumstances or different identities or whatever, but being able to recognize what that is and then just choosing not to take more than that. Like there's, I don't know, there's something in that that you've said a lot of things that I will think about from this conversation, but as I'm taking notes as we're talking, that's the one I just like circled like six times. (laughs) So. I love that. Yeah, no, I think that's, that's, it's, it's great to hear you kind of pick out commonalities. Cause sometimes I'm like, am I, is it, does any of this like tie in? <laughs> Cause it would be nice for it too, but maybe it's just like all these different things that I'm wrestling with at the same time. But you're right. There is like a common, um, there's, there's common denominators and all of, of that, that are, that are worth noting and worth I think, wrestling with Mm -hmm. with other folks too. Yeah. I mean, and again, all of these things are self-defined, right? But I think that what you're bringing up, and obviously you're sharing the honest truth of your choices and what has worked and not worked for you, but really it's like you're posing questions to ask, right? Like what matters to me? What does enough look like? Like these types of things that I think are relevant, whether you enjoy the outdoors or not, right? Whether you want to live in small square footage or not, they're just still, it's like helpful to step back from the social scripting and be like, is this thing that I've been told is what success looks like? Is that actually how I feel, right? Yeah. So yes. and I think seeing the beauty and have, hearing other answers to yeah. that, right? And valuing that and respecting that. I think that's also really Im- important. So did I, am I remembering correctly? You mentioned that you guys have been married for 10 years. Is that what you said? Almost 10 years. Yes. Okay. So I have questions about that. Um, <laughs> um, I remember something else you said on Instagram, something like, uh, I think the quote was love feels like the wildest version of type two fun. <laughs> Just yeah. that really made me laugh. Um, I have never been in uh, a 10 year relationship that is longer than my longest relationship. And so yeah. yeah, I'm just, it's funny. I don't even really know specifically what my question is, but I'm just interested in like, I don't know, like how your relationship has changed over time. Like a decade is a long time in an in individual's personal growth. Right. So then to pair that yeah. with like two people growing and growing side by side or not navigating the ways that they grow together <laughs> and apart. Um, is there anything in that that you'd like to talk about? Yeah. I mean, I think championing individuality is a really um, hard thing to do in relationships because so much of what society informs us and also I think what we desire is like commonalities and coming, you you know, meeting in in the middle on certain things. And I think that's important too. I think a greater challenge is saying like, that's, that's the way you are. That's the way things are. That's what you believe. And that's okay with me. Um, because also, you know, it's okay that I believe what I want or feel like what I want to. I think that's something we've always welcomed as a challenge and has allowed things to not be like the most way. Sorry, I should say, I was going to say like the most awful version of what it could be, but like it has been pretty awful at times because like I think someone. I think for the most part, a lot of relationships are because they're hard. Um, but it's again just like living in small spaces. It's worth the the. It's worth wrestling with to be able to say what is your thing and how does that look in your life. And even though it's not my thing, I'm okay with it. Um, or or I'm better version. Maybe even though it's not my thing, I'm willing to champion it because it brings you joy. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a lot of what we've always continued. We're both very independent people and we both are very different. And so being able to enjoy what each other enjoys together when it's 
when it's a good thing for the other, but also recognizing sometimes, you know, and that's okay too. Um, and pursuing what fulfills us outside of the relationships, whether it be friendships with other people or activities that the other one doesn't care about. Um, I think that those are really, really important. They can be disarming. I think that that's what keeps you humble and keeps you sincere in a relationship. Like it's okay for one, it's okay to not be okay. It's okay for things to not be okay. It's okay to have conflict. It's okay to like very different things. It's okay to disagree on a lot. Um, it's okay for someone to be super into something that you're like very much not into and maybe anti, depending on what it is. I mean, of course, there's like values that can come into conflict with her that are objectively like, no, that's bad. Like my husband loves golf and I think it's the worst. So like, you know, and that's a really shallow version of it. We do meet the the fundamentals of what it means to exist as a human in the world and do your best are what we do agree on. Mm-hmm. So every time I'm like, why do you, <laughs> why do you hate all the things I love? And then I'm like, but we don't, you don't hate all the things I love. You just hate the desert and you hate being hot and you don't really like backpacking, <laughs> but you do love people and you believe in justice and you fight for inclusion and you believe people should have voice and that we should stretch to see perspective and that we should share. And so those are the things that I remind myself of when I'm like, why do you hate this place? This place is the best. I'm thinking about, we took a road trip to the desert last week and Johnny's like, actually, I don't like any of this, <laughs> any of this. And I was like, we've been coming here for years. And he's like, yeah, I just never had an opportunity to tell you. I don't like it here. And I'm like, oh, well, shit, this is my favorite place in California. And he's like, yeah, don't like oh it. Oh my God. So yeah. But I was like, okay, well, thanks for telling me. I guess you won't be coming with me. Well, anymore. I love the desert, so fun. I will come with you. It's fine. Don't okay, worry. Okay, you can come with me. <laughs> Um, but yeah, it's like, you know, that's not a very frustrating thing in the grand scheme of things, but it can be frustrating sometimes. And, and then sometimes I, I constantly recalibrate that, like, this is a person, he's a VP of a homeless shelter, um, about a half hour North of us, 20 minutes North of us. And like, this man spends every single day of his life, like walking the walk and fighting for the right things. And so who cares if he loves like wearing polo shirts and playing golf for eight hours, which is like so stupid, but like, you know, whatever. Yeah. Cause most of the other stuff he does is pretty badass. Yeah. Yeah. Except yeah. for golf. So, you know, if you were to go back, let's say who you were 10 years ago or like what you, what your vision of marriage was or of like longer term partnership, I'm curious sort of a then versus now, like what has surprised you or what do you think that version of you from 10 years ago would be surprised about on, you know, 10 years in? Mm. I'm going to answer this right when I say I have to asterisk all this and say golf is not stupid. It's my, I actually, my mom is a Latino woman who is a fantastic golfer and loves it. I personally, as Noelle Russell, don't like golf, but I don't actually think it's objectively stupid. So golfers are badass, just like every other athlete. It's I just, just not for you. Totally it. fine. Yeah. It's, it's like very not for me. Okay. So I think 10 years ago, I was very much um, willing to sacrifice a lot of the things that I knew brought me joy for the sake of conforming or satisfying what I thought society or people around me maybe wanted for myself or needed from myself. And so I was doing, I, I was pursuing the job with the title, with the income, because 
I believed that that was important. And what I realize now and what I realized throughout, you know, just the past 10 years of journey was that a lot of that was just a perception. It was a lot of stuff I was imposing on myself. Uh, I think the people that loved me most and cared about me most and knew me actually wanted me to just feel joy and satisfied and flourishing and healthy in, 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 in the way that I live my life. And I was actually putting more of the pressure on myself than anybody else. And I was also scared. I was scared of what it meant to not do those things because I didn't know then what I would mean, like what, if I would matter, I I saw a lot of my value in the pursuit of those verses and the values of right. And, in upholding values and, and living life accordingly. So I think I would be surprised that I was able to do that. I think that like the most, most daunting challenge I've ever faced hasn't been 14,000 peaks or nine pitch climbs in Yosemite. I think it's been, um, being willing to be okay with not living up to the expectations I impose upon myself and being willing to be, to not being willing to, giving myself the opportunity to see satisfaction and flourishing in new ways um, and through like new and constantly through new lenses in my life. Um, really like I think lo- lo- loosening up those reins that I put on myself um, to fit into a mold that I kind of was holding up the walls to anyways and saying, what if you don't do that? could you still see yourself as as successful? And then being able to prove to myself that I could, um, that to me would have, I would have been like, there's no way she can do that. She's, she's, she, that's not her. But but if you told me 10 years ago, like you, you would have done this, you would have done this, all these other things in life. I'd be like, oh yeah, sure. I can do anything. But what I couldn't thought, what I didn't think I could do is that I could say that I'm not, going to meet some of these mile markers that society says determine success, like income, like title, like children, um, like all these things that, you know, big house, um, savings account that if I, that I could not do those and still be happy. And I would love to tell that person 10 years ago, you're actually not going to do any of those things and you're going to be really happy. And and it's, and you're not going to have any clue what I, someone else the other day was like, what's your goal for like 10 years from now? And I was like, Oh, I don't have one. I don't even have one for this. I mean, I have one for this year, like have a, have a lovely time, (laughs) try your best, but like, but it's not like I want to do this and I'm actually very much okay with it. And, uh, I, I think that that would have just blown my mind. I feel like have a lovely time and try your best is like the best mantra ever. (laughs) (laughs) Can that be the title of this episode? Have a lovely time and try your best. And try your best. Yeah, exactly. I love it. That's so good. So the last thing that I wanted to ask you before we start to wrap up, I mean, obviously you have been at least part-time on the move, you know, for, for a while and spending so much time like in the van or kind of back and forth between home base and these beautiful places, like with your partner and and dogs, I I guess I'm curious, like either how that's impacted your friendships and other relationships or like how it's worked for you to build a sense of community while being on the move? Or I guess like the easiest way to ask this question is like, how has your like definition of home evolved? Oh my goodness. So 
one of my favorite quotes was from one of the young people that I worked with at a shelter, the uh, shelter that I worked with in Los Angeles. And we asked them to define home as part of an art project. And she said, home is a place where someone's waiting for you. And I thought that was beautiful because I think that's what it is. So home is community. I don't think home is a physical structure. I think that it's a place not where someone, but where some people are waiting for you. And I think that the beauty of spending time um, on the road and also spending time at home in Oakland is that I've been able to, I have built a community where people are waiting for me, where they know me, where um, I have people to reach out to and to reach out to me. I think that um, time spent on the road has only expanded what that community looks like and feels like. I think that it's been really fun to make f- friends all over uh, that, you know, you establish, establish like immediate kinship with over a campfire. And then also still have my community that lives, you know, or members of the community that live a couple of miles from me. I think that it's just a greater experience of abundance relationally. And I'm very, I feel very grateful for it and very privileged to have had that experience. But, um, but I don't feel like it's anything but positive. Yeah, I love that. So I think that's a good place to start to wrap up. And the way that we end these episodes are with a series of like rapid fiery community questions. So basically the Patreon community, the folks who funded the show put forth questions. And so I have nine random questions that all eight guests of this season will be answering the same nine questions. If you're down to answer nine totally random questions. Cool. Yeah. Um, What's something that you've gotten better at over the past year? Saying I'm sorry. Oh, that's a good one. What's one thing that you've found challenging lately? Something that you've been struggling with? Saying I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God, that's so perfectly honest. Um, What's one thing that you love to splurge on when you can? Wine. Yeah, I mean that ties back to your first answer about your current <laughs> obsession, right? Let's I love that. Bring it home. I love that. Um, tell me about a time when you failed at something. It could be something big or small, but just uh, what's a story of failure in your life? I'm not pausing because it's hard to think of one. I'm pausing because there's so many. Um, I I think going back to just the beginning of 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 um, my life and lessons learned, I learned very late in life that realization. So what I told myself, you know, ten years ago versus now, I I I did not do what I knew I wanted to do, and I didn't do what felt flourishing for me, and I don't get that time back, and that is a massive failure. Um, I think life is precious. I have been completely humbled in the past year recognizing how true that statement is. And I definitely covet the opportunity for anybody if you have a chance to take a risk or make a jump or make a change that you know will fuel the fire in your heart, then fucking do it. Because you're, you, my dad said that nobody, my dad works, um, does like volunteer hospice stuff, said nobody on their deathbed ever says, God, I wish I didn't take so many risks. So like, I just didn't lean in to the unknown for far too long. And I, and I hate that part, but I'm making up for it. This idea that we don't get the time back. I love that. Yeah. When you feel stuck, what's one thing that helps you to keep moving forward? Uh, Talking with people about it. (laughs) I, I'm, I love processing with people, even if they're not like folks that like have, uh, you don't necessarily have to have the same experience or have this, have 
all the answers. I just, I think that processing with people allows for gained perspective. I've always said that I know I'm definitely not right. Um, I could be a little bit right, but I, I'm probably sure that everybody around me might be more right than me. And so I like being able to just get perspective and feedback and ideas. And I like trying, I like challenging myself to try something that I maybe wouldn't have thought of if I didn't get that feedback. Mm. So, um, yeah. yeah, I'm the same way. I also like to process out loud with other people for sure. Yes. What's one thing that feels really important to you right now? Maybe a goal or an intention or just something that you're spending time and energy on that feels important. Oh, uh, being able to establish good boundaries in my life, um, around time management and relational management and kind of all the things that pull me right and left. I'm bad at it. And I don't think that pursuing, um, a handful of freelance opportunities has, um, definitely made that it's definitely made that more challenging. And so I'm really trying to figure out like, when is it okay to not, what is, yeah, what (laughs) you can tell her. Yeah. Like what the heck? So I think I'm trying to, that's something that, that is definitely a a challenge that I'm trying to, and I'm seeking tons of feedback as to how to navigate that well. Yeah. So the next question is about books, which two or three books, any type of book, any genre, mm. would you say have either had the biggest impact on you or that you find yourself recommending or rereading most often? Oh, there's a book called On Being and uh, On Beauty and Being Just. And that's very, very, very important. There's also um Mary Oliver died today. I know. And <laughs> like everything by her, but there's a book called Dog Songs. It's a collection of her poetry about dogs and it, and I, it sits right by my bed and it's my most treasured thing. And I read it all the time. Um, and then what other, what other book? Um, there's a, 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 I, I don't want to answer this, say this last book, because I don't want it taken out of context. So I should put it back into context um, before saying it. When I was little, I spent a lot of, I, I would say it, but then I have to qualify it. So um, my summer, my first summer in the Sierra by John Muir, John Muir, I do not believe that we should idolize him. I feel like there's a lot of damaging things that came from, uh, especially to the indigenous community as a result of some of the, um, the the narrative that he, that he perpetuated. Mm -hmm. Um, when I was young, I would read my summer in the Sierra and I would dream of seeing all the things that John Muir described so eloquently. And it is what made this little Brown girl decide I'm going to get up into the Sierra. I'm going to get above the tree line. I'm going to see these things. And so I do value that book because of that. I do not value his, his stance on a lot of things and the way that he communicate or his messaging around a lot of things. And I don't think he deserves to be idolized. I think that that book that was really formative to me, I mean, I spend probably half of my year in the Sierra Nevada mountains and, and I treasure them 
more than anything other than my dogs. And then my husband comes like third. Um, so, so I do value that book for that. And when I think about what got me outside, it was that. Yeah. I mean, and also that's a very honest human answer. And I think it's incredibly well said, like something can be impactful or be influential or have like guided us in direction and also still be problematic and be something that you, your feelings have changed. And like, as you learn more, you know more and then you do better. Right. So I think, yeah, I know. I think there's a lot of humanity. Yeah. You just said, I'm very grateful for the community that is using voice to bring visibility to things like that. I've learned a lot, especially from, um, um, friends of, especially online, like Instagram, I've learned so much and been challenged so much, um, in that way. And, and, and I'm embarrassed to say, but happy to say that like, it was only a handful of years ago that I was like, "Uh Oh, John Muir, not this bright, shiny, most lovely thing that I perceived him to be my entire life. And that's okay. So I'm learning. And I mean, I'm the same. So yeah, completely. Yeah. Yeah. So the last question, if you could leave our community, the listeners with one call to action, what would it be? Maybe a question to ask themselves or a small action to take? I think when we talk about taking up space or taking too much and whatnot, I, I think that it calls us to ask ourselves what abundance is in our life and what can be shared where not just where we're taking up too much space, but where can we, we, can we give a little bit or sacrifice a little bit or share a little bit? I do believe that the greatest expression of gratitude is us recognizing the wealth that we live in, even if it's not financial wealth, whether it's time or talent or energy or physical space. And I think that a, a really great way to embrace gratitude and to live it out is by taking toll of the resources that we um, currently have, whether it be time, tenor, energy, talent, influence, and say, how can I use this to help someone that has less of this or deserves more of this, and then move forward in that? I think that, yeah, yeah I think that that's, and also, if you're ever feeling sad, if you're ever feeling like you don't have what it takes or what you need or whatnot. I think it's a great way to reframe is to quote unquote, right? Like count your blessings. Think about all the abundance that you do have and realize that there's someone out there that could need, want, use that um, and pursue that because you're guaranteed to to feel better after yeah, that. I love that. So what's the best place for people to find you and say hi online? Do you have a favorite way to connect with new folks? I really like DMs. I don't know if that's like, no, I've said that before. If you're like, really? Like I do. I think it's the best. I answer all of them. It's my favorite. Um, so I think, you know, finding me on Instagram, sending me a message or emailing me, uh, there's a link on Instagram, obviously where you can email. That's easy. I have a website, noelrest.com. People can email through that, but I do love, um, chatting with folks about anything and everything. So I encourage anyone to reach out. And when people are like, seriously, I'm like, no, seriously. Yeah. And then I'll talk yeah. to you. Cause remember I said, I love talking to people. So. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, and uh, we got connected because I DM'd you on Instagram. So it yeah. actually, you actually do answer all your DMs. That's real. Um, I will put links to all of that in the show notes. Noel, thank you so much. Thank you so much. And that's our show for today. Thanks so much for listening and for being part of the Real Talk Radio family. Speaking of the Real Talk Radio family, I want to give a huge shout out to Adam Day, my producer and sound engineer. Adam created the music for this show and he makes everything work and flow and sound way better than I ever could on my own. You can find him and his music and his sound editing work at adamday.net. 
And as I said way back at the top of the episode, this is a 100% listener-supported show. The show is made possible by awesome people like Gina. Hi, Gina. Hi. So we're going to do a fun little round of rapid-fire questions. Are you ready? I'm so ready, I hope. (laughs) What are you totally obsessed with right now? Oh, man. Uh, Well... (laughs) Right this second, I guess I'm obsessed with, I'm planning a surprise birthday party for my husband. And so that's like what I was working on all morning. So we're going to this place called Big Thrill Factory and we're going to play laser tag and do axe throwing and have pizza. And like the theme is like, you're going to play like you're eight, not 38. And so it's like 80s themed. And so I'm super obsessed with that right now. (laughs) That sounds like so much fun. Oh my gosh, I can't wait. And I, I love that it's a surprise too. That's so neat. <laughs> I know. Yeah, it's it's killing me. I love to spill the beans and I just can't. So what's one thing that you've been particularly awesome at lately? Why don't you go ahead and brag a little bit? Ooh, uh I well, uh last year I put myself on a sabbatical. I kind of switched gears with like my wellness career and I got out of that. And I have been doing so well. I'm starting up a new career and I've been really good at like not self-sabotaging with like negative talk or like you should, you should be having more followers. You should be having more sessions. Um, so I'm doing like hypnosis, specifically past life regression. And I'm just like taking it slow and reaching out to people when it feels good to do like meditation classes or hypno yoga classes. And uh, that is is new for me, and I'm doing really good at it because I used to be someone who would like motivate with shame, negative self talk, all that shit. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like on it, and it helps me to like meditate and stuff every day. But I'm really proud of that. I'm really proud of myself for doing that. Yeah, I love that. The idea that you can make changes and do new things without being an asshole to yourself. Who knew? <laughs> oh, who knew? <laughs> Yeah. Oh God. What's your go-to song when you need a mood boost or like a dance break? Oh my gosh. Um, you know, it totally depends on the mood I'm in, but I, there is something about like old country music. Like I love Waylon Jennings. I love Johnny Cash. Uh, so those are really good. And I'm just coming off a really long road trip where we listen to a lot of country music. So I guess those otherwise, um, I love big poppy music and I love hip hop too. So I don't know, something by Jay-Z usually gets me going as well. It's a whole, it's a whole variety. (laughs) It's hard to pick just one. What's one goal that you're working toward right now? Um, right now I'm working toward, um, just kind of building my network of, like I said, I, switched gears, put myself on a sabbatical last year. And now I'm just starting building my practice as helping people do past life regression. Um, so that is kind of my goal is like building my network. So I joined a co-working space and, um, and it's like, they've got different events and stuff like that. So just naturally organically meeting people through those events and, um, yeah, just kind of growing my business, meditation classes, hypnosis class or hypno yoga classes. So that's just my goal going about that slowly. I love it. Last question. What's one thing that you've recently been wishing that people were more open and honest about? Ooh, I guess like how they motivate themselves and, and knowing it's been in, 
um, your friend Jamie, who I just love, uh, is she has been talking about this, like in her Friday letters with like not motivating yourself with negativity or shame, or like, I should do this or look at this person's shiny life. I should be more like that. And I wish people would, I guess, talk about it, but also just know what motivates them and, and talk about like when it is negative and what do they do to help them keep it like more love based rather than shame based, mm. which is, I just think we could all really benefit from. Cause especially with social media, I feel like we all kind of beat ourselves up a little more than we're aware of. Yeah, I agree. That's, I love how specific that one is too. Yeah. I, I also wish people were more open and honest about that. Hmm, that's well said. So you're a member of our Patreon support squad, which means that you're one of the people that listeners can thank for making this podcast possible since you make a powerful reoccurring pledge that helps to fund the costs of producing the show and paying the guests each season. And I would love for you to share why you decided to support the show and what you love most about our community or the bonuses or anything you want to talk about. Yeah. Well, of course the real talk, um, it's just like getting past the bullshit. I just have zero time for people who want to roll up and spend 30 minutes telling me on a podcast why they should buy their book (laughs) or their new coaching course. So I just love how you dig in to like the, you know, the real talk, the, the things that we're ashamed to talk about the things, you know, even like, uh, I'm a white person. So even all of the activism and social justice stuff, you are a real gateway for me to like, just learn about that. Like I love following Rachel Cargill. I would, I wouldn't know who she is without you. So not only the podcast, but and the actual content in the podcast, but just the amount of people that you bring to us, like you're kind of curating all these great different points of view. And I just, I love that. I'm so glad. Yeah. Um, it feels really neat to be able to take people whose work I'm obsessed with and <laughs> introduce it to new people. So <laughs> I'm glad yeah, to hear that you that, like that. Yeah. And just how you, you're starting to pay your podcast guests, which is just like, just so great. No one, I don't, no one I follow does that. Um, and, and I love that you're setting precedence with that and, and, and essentially kind of changing that. And just, you always talk about, what do you want more of and and vote with your dollars? And we hear that a lot, but, but I really feel that way with you. It's really tangible, right? Like I'm not giving to an organization who's going to dilute the money. Uh, So yeah, I just love it. And it's a joy to be able to do it. And I'm so glad I'm able to do it. And I'm so glad you're willing to do the work. So I love that so much. That means so much to me. Do you want to share where you live and maybe a social media link if in case people want to say hi? Sure. I'm in Minneapolis. Um, and my I'm on Instagram. I don't post a ton, but I do like to creep around. So say hi if you want. It's calming hypnosis. And I'm Gina Seaball. I love it. Um, thank you so much for being brave and joining me for this. And to everyone listening, if you love the podcast, if you want to help keep it going, if you want over 40 hours of bonus content, plus lots of other fun opportunities and extras, just go to patreon.com slash Nicole Antoinette to make your pledge of $8 or more for each eight episode season. I can't tell you how much that support means to me. And it'll be so much fun to get to know you better after you've joined our community. Maybe we can even record a future outro together like this one. So until next time, here's a big virtual hug and a reminder that we're all just doing the best we can. And no matter what, we're in this together.